The future will be amazing. And that's all well and good. But what about today? You can feel the rush of a 400-horsepower Nissan Z. Or climb to new heights in the all-terrain Nissan Frontier. Light up the road in the all-electric Nissan Aria that feels like a sci-fi dream come true. The future will be great, but today is made for thrill. All you have to do is get in a Nissan and drive. 2023 Aria and Z not yet available for purchase. Expected availability is this spring for 2023 Z and this fall for 2023 Aria. I'm so glad you can join us on Mission Evolution, where we bring the latest knowledge from today's leading experts to support your evolutionary process. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour will address reality shifts, quantum jumps, and evolution. It's easy to look around us and become dismayed for our future. Everything seems to be falling apart with joy, abundance, ease, and enlightenment, not part of the equation. We may throw up our hands in despair and decide, you just can't get there from here. But what if all the things we wish to create and experience are simply a reality shift away? What if quantum jumps are indeed possible? With us this hour to explore the exciting possibility of shifting reality is Cynthia Sue Larson. Cynthia is a best-selling author of quantum jumps, reality shifts, and high energy money. Cynthia has a degree in physics from UC Berkeley, an MBA degree, a Doctor of Divinity, and a second-degree black belt in Kuksol One. Cynthia is founder of Reality Shifters and president of International Mandela Effect Conference. Her website, www.realityshifters.com. Cynthia, thanks so much for joining us on Mission Evolution. My pleasure to be here today with you, Gwilda. Thank you. So you have a degree in uh, physics. What, what degree is that? Mm -hmm. That's a bachelor's degree in physics, and I've since continued my own exploration of physics. Um, in, in fact, going so far as to publish a paper, several papers in the realm of quantum physics, but um, and co-authored one with a, someone who does have a PhD in quantum physics, George Weissman, one of the hippies who saved physics from the book of the same name, um, part of the fundamental physics group at UC Berkeley. So how did you move from physics into quantum physics? What, what drew you there? Um, basically consciousness drew me there, a series of experiences that I had that were rather difficult to, um, describe within the realm of regular everyday physics. And that would include things like spontaneously remote viewing things that weren't anywhere close to me and various types of reality shifts where I'd notice things that would appear, disappear, transform, transport, and changes in the experience of time. So would you mind, um, and we'll get into that later because that's fascinating, and I think we're seeing more of it now than we have in the past for whatever reason. Yes. Um, are, you, are you experiencing that as well? <clears throat> yes, it's uh, definitely changed a lot in the 20 years, more than 20 years that I've been researching it. People are now willing to share their full name and location, whereas originally people were uh, there's a stigma about experiencing these sorts of things. So even if they did work as a lawyer or a solicitor or a doctor and so forth, uh, or a professor in a university, many people such as these are witnessing reality shifts. Originally, they said, don't use my name. Obviously, I could lose my job. 
now there's not so much of a stigma about that. So it's already changing. Um, maybe it's not all the way to the place where it's totally acceptable, but it's definitely changed a lot and it's becoming more common. Would you mind defining um, what you mean by reality shifts? Yes, reality shifts uh, are the sort of accidental things where if you do laundry and you notice that a sock has gone missing or you might be in a big hurry and this is when things seem to go wrong. <laughs> this is where you, you, you can't find your keys where you know you put them or your wallet isn't where it should be and there might be nobody else around to explain how that moved. So uh, that's a basic reality shift where something seems to have appeared or disappeared or teleported itself, where <laughs> it might be slightly different, it might have transformed. Uh, but many people experience those missing, uh, disappearing, reappearing objects, and also uh, changes in time, such as traveling farther than should be possible in a very short amount of time. Yeah, and I, I've experienced those things um, throughout my lifetime. But to me, it seems like right now, it's really accelerating. Do you have any idea why that would be? Well, there are lots of possible explanations, <laughs> and I don't know that there's one that's all the way correct and accounts for everything. Um, everything from the Schumann resonance has been observed to be increasing substantially, but uh, that's the resonance frequency around the Earth. It used to be just eight hertz all the time, and now there, there's just fluctuations that are just going way high and um, staying that way for days at a time. Um, but some people say that's because we're reaching a point that the indigenous people have told us would be coming, such as the Mayans and the Hopi and pretty much every single indigenous culture has had legends and stories that there would be a time as there have been before when consciousness would change and the world would change. And it seems like we're in that time right now of acceleration. And in, in according to these mythologies, that's often when a culture collapses but it's not the end of mankind, it's, nor is it the end of the earth. So that's promising. <laughs> end of an era and different things are being supported energetically now? Yes. Um, basically, we're starting to see some Lazarus species of animals, such as this silicanth um, fish that had been determined to be completely extinct um, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. They had not been seen, but now they're back in, in rather large numbers for a so-called extinct species too, as well as the giant Galapagos tortoises are back and those were presumed extinct. So here are two creatures that weigh as much as a human being that were well known to be completely gone to the, and now there's a word for it in the scientific literature, which is Lazarus species. So it's enough of a thing that even the regular everyday, um, you know, very classical scientists will agree that uh, we don't know what happened. Some of these extinct animals are coming back. So we're definitely seeing that. Is that, um, what's another example of, of um, things that we're seeing that are supposedly impossible that are relative to these times? Some people are noticing um, what's called Mandela effects. And the two examples of extinct animals coming back would be that as well. And that was what was predicted by the Hopi Indians that extinct animals would be coming back. Um, other things that we're seeing include changes in geography, such as some people feel like there's a change in the relationship between New Zealand and Australia, or between North and South America, that you can see the continents are, uh, in the case of North and South America, they seem, uh, South America seems to have slid farther off 
toward the east, <laughs> like it just sort of moved away. Does it? And people remember it was more directly lined up. So geographical changes are huge. Some people remember there had been a continent for the North Pole where Santa Claus could conceivably live, where there was a permanent landmass there, but that apparently was never the case. And then in the realm of physiological changes, people sometimes remember in America, we would put our hand slightly to the left for the Pledge of Allegiance because our grade school teachers would, they told me that that's where the heart is. It was a teaching moment. So put your hand over your heart. So the center of your chest, now move it a little to the left. Uh, now the heart is directly in the center of the chest and the kidneys have moved slightly upward to a safer location. So if a kidney punch is delivered, uh, it's a lot less dangerous than it used to be. So all of these things are um, actually experienced differently? Is there scientific proof that things have changed? Yeah, for in terms of the kind of proof that classical science would expect, no, there's no proof. And um, so this is where things get a little sticky. <laughs> for a skeptics, I, obviously I can understand why people would be skeptical. And I would be too if I didn't personally experience a lot of these shifts myself. So no, there's no, there's no, there's typically not much in the way of evidence. Although uh, some of the Mandela effect researchers would say, wait a minute, Cynthia, we've got something called residue, which means that you'll see um, price stickers showing, for example, Haas avocados spelled H-A-A-S, the way I remember it, and a lot of people remember it. Um, now it's always been spelled H-A-S-S. And, but you can see when someone's typing in the little um, number, uh, you know, they'll type in the price stickers, they might type it in the way they remember it, H-A-A-S. That's the kind of residue that you can see. Although well, we'll have to pick up on more about the Mandela effect on the other side of, of a short break. Cynthia and I will return, so don't you go away. This is Mission Evolution, www.missionevolution.org. And you are watching the Exxon TV channel, www.exxontvchannel.com. Again, this is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. We're dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. With us this hour discussing shifts in reality is Cynthia Sue Larson. Her website, www.realityshifters.com. Cynthia, we were just getting into the Mandela effect, and um, many of us don't know exactly what that is. Would you mind uh, um, defining it for us? Certainly. The Mandela effect was named after Nelson Mandela, so it is spelled like his last name, and it was called that because some people noticed that Nelson Mandela was alive, and um, like they weren't expecting that because many people remember that he had died in when he was incarcerated on Robbins Island, and that he never made it to be the president of South Africa. But at the same time, they might have the double memories like they remember both they remember like wait a minute he died but he's also president what and this typically would affect people that did not uh, live in south africa so it would be a localized mandela effect that would primarily affect people who are not south african 
although it might affect people that visited South Africa. And so that's where it got the name. So is the Mandela effect where the same incident is remembered differently? Yes. Um, by, is it by groups of people or just by groups individuals? Yes, by groups, groups of people? people. Mm -hmm. And, and it, go ahead. Well, it is similar to what I used to call reality shifts. And when I did surveys, I found many people did experience them together. So there's, there's always been this, or I've always noticed that there's a strong collective connection that often people do. Um, otherwise, if it's just themselves that they've no, they have a different memory, they tend to recognize this must be confusion on my part. But when several people notice, wait a minute, this building looks different, or this word looks different, or this logo, or whatever it may be, then um, that experience is shared, and th and then it becomes a thing. <laughs> how how many people does constitutes a share? Uh, it, with the surveys that I was tracking, <clears throat> I, I was noticing that often two people would notice it, but it could be a group of 10 people. So if there were a large group of people that all were, went out to see a movie, for example, and they noticed that um, Darth Vader said something different in Star Wars, instead of saying, you know, Luke, I am your father, that's James Earl Jones' deep voice. It was instead, no, I am your father. And maybe after the movie, people would say, did that seem wrong to you? <clears throat> so there'd be a discussion. Now that there's the internet, uh, the Mandela effect has a much greater opportunity for very large groups of people to start noticing that they can compare notes and see that there have been differences in our memories compared to what supposedly has always been true. So there, there's this thing as, as agreement. And when you get more than one person agreeing upon a reality, it makes it much more likely that that reality will be so. Is that what we're looking at here? It's uh, entirely possible that there's a collective, collective consensus reality going on, that there are subjective levels of observation that are grouped together with uh, sort of entangled uh, groups that are <laughs> coherent. So you've got people that are agreeing at some level that the facts are the way they remember them. And we're certainly seeing these things in politics lately. So uh, not always in a favorable light. So it can be a challenge when we notice what if people are actually noticing different sets of facts, how would that affect everything? And it, these are good questions to keep in mind. I don't know the answers, but I'm just saying it's good to keep it in mind. Well, this has been going on all along, though. History is written by the winner of the war. And uh, then that rendition of history or of a memory is the one that's clung to or touted. How is this different? This is different in the sense that people absolutely um, are, th their beliefs are such that they know that the facts were different. And you, it, you really can't shake their faith in that it's you could, some the people who don't have that belief would call it faith, but um, it, it, to the experiencer, it looks like things are really wildly different. Like I, I know my, my teachers told me to put my hand to the left of my heart, that that's where it was. I remember that. I remember that my kidneys were, um, you know, I could put my hands on my lower back and that's where they were. Now they've moved up um, under the safety of the rib cage. And you know, these are things that are very clear to me personally. Uh, so it's hard for me to believe that there could be, you know, why would I have a belief that would affect these things, let alone product names and things that hardly seem to matter. So um, changing gears just a little bit, um, you say this is the quantum age. What do you mean by that? <clears throat> yes. 
this is the age that we can start appreciating that instead of uh, binary logic that we find with classical computers, where, which operate on bits, which are um, like a coin. If you imagine a coin was two-dimensional, it is ac not actually two. It's got, it's got a tiny ridge around it. <laughs> so it's not like a flat, perfectly flat thing. But if you can pretend it was two-dimensional. When you flip it, it's either heads or tails. So it's a good analogy for that. A quantum computer is operating differently in the sense that it's um, working with the same coins so that have yes or no black um, heads and tails or black and white, whatever you want to call that, or spin up, spin down, which is really what's going on inside of a quantum computer. Um, but that's in a superposition of states. It's like the spinning, like it's, it's as, if, if, as if you flipped a coin and it just kept spinning and it doesn't come down. And there are many, many, many coins in the in the air that are all flipped and spinning. And that's the computing power that a quantum computer has compared to a classical computer. So conceivably, eventually, we should be able to see quantum computers that are capable of far outperforming classical computers. And that this is also the key to understanding the, the binary versus the quantum computational advantage. Well, many um, factions say that we're entering into a time of unity. And from what you're describing, it sounds like binary versus quantum, that the, the quantum is moving more towards unity. There's more going on. There's more crossover than just black or white, positive or negative, one or zero. Um, is this what you're talking about? Yes, that's, that's one way to look at it. I, I tend to view it a little bit the way indigenous peoples view it in terms of a beingness, that there's a verbiness to quantum physics, that it's that uh, probabilistic wave function that's smeared over all reality. That's like all those coins in the air spinning together. They are giving us the capability of recognizing that unity state of consciousness that you're describing. So we have access to it when we meditate, when we allow ourselves to be like a quantum computer. We, we have quantum capabilities, computational capabilities. And I, I don't think of people as things or computers at all. I think we're very sacred. So to me, we have consciousness and sentience, <clears throat> but it's a good analogy by which we can study what's going on and recognize that there's, there's sort of a magic and a mystery and an entanglement and a connectedness within that quantum connectedness. So it's been here all along, but we're now catching up to it uh, with our technology. Our technology, in some ways, is already utilizing quantum processes, such as our cell phones and the internet. These are very quantum technologies that totally require that. And then, of course, nuclear power, that's also quantum. And there's just quantum technology coming out all the time. But what's really new now is that the quantum computational capability is on the horizon. And so this is the dawning of that quantum age when we can recognize um, that we humans have an opportunity to think bigger than just twofold logic, which is just true or false, like, like that binary system. And we can expand into recognizing that there's some, there can be things that are true and false and not true, not false. There's that quality to life that it already exists and that's present in nature. 
Well, we're going to have to pick up on um, true or not true or true and true on the other side of a, of a break here. Cynthia and I will return shortly to our discussion. So you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. And you're watching the Exxon TV channel, www.exxontvchannel.com. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. Our guest this hour is Cynthia Sue Larson. We're speaking about quantum jumps. Her website, www.realityshifters.com. Cynthia, we were getting into the the difference in regular binary thinking and quantum thought. How does that change the way we perceive the world and what are we seeing as a result? That's that's a great question because it gets to the heart of this idea of the quantum age and what does that mean for us? And it is a change in the way we think in the sense that no longer are we necessarily constrained to assuming that the world is only black and white, for example, like the two sides of that coin. But instead, we've got these other qualities of true and false. (laughs) So so if, if one side of the coin is true, the other side is false, then we've also got true and false, and not true, not false. And it's considered in many Eastern cultures that those two categories are actually the largest of the four categories. So it's uh, not so much of a black and white world, but shades of gray all the way. And that, that's powerful for us to recognize that we don't necessarily need to assume that everything is one way or another. And uh, it, of course, it's different in courts of law. It, it sounds like it's going to, if we continue down this track, it's going to really shake, rattle our cages because everything that we've done, everything we believe is based on a binary system. It either is or it isn't. And I love the way the Celts say, well, it is and it isn't. It's a very um, shamanic way of looking at it. Things are both like you're saying, they are and they aren't. Um, and as we start to embrace that, isn't a lot of our belief systems in our world going to start unraveling? It's possible. Uh, I think in some ways we're seeing that a little bit. It's, it's like the writing's on the wall. <laughs> so it's, we're seeing that there's that shades of gray situation happening. And I think a lot of people are noticing it. Certainly <clears throat> with some of the legal findings, um, it seems like it's not always like there's always a bad guy or it's something's completely one way. We're also noticing it with medicine that someone might get a diagnosis of definitely having a case of cancer that will be leaving them dead in a certain amount of time, and it might spontaneously remit. So these kinds of things are happening where the shades of gray are showing up, even in medicine and the legal areas. And And um, that's very very unsettling, isn't it? Because we've hung our hat on, you know, finding the bad guy and persecuting him to the extent Mm -hmm. of the law. And if we suddenly find out the bad guy isn't necessarily the bad guy, Um, that's going to be a lot to take in. And uh, guilt is going to start entering in there, isn't it? Well, this is where I like to make this a spiritual practice and work with forgiveness and empathy, because sometimes it's our judgments and our own beliefs that we don't even realize are beliefs that could 
convince us to be so certain, but quantum uncertainty is the, one of the foundational tenets of quantum physics um, that we do not know, simul we don't have all the information of any given system. Uh, that's a built-in fact in quantum physics. That's the way it is. So there's no way that you can simultaneously know everything there is to know about a quantum particle, for example. And that's the kind of thinking and the philosophy that's helpful for us now at this time to be more uh, open-hearted and open-minded about other ways of viewing the world. That if, when you consider that there's subjective perception happening, not just with other people, but with ourselves, that we've got our own biases and our own beliefs. It starts making the world more interesting. It doesn't have to be totally frustrating, although it can be frustrating. <laughs> yeah. One thing that I've noticed in a lot of my clients and students have noticed is that there's the good rule of thumb right now is to know that you do not know. Okay, so no matter what you've been convinced of or how it's appearing, you have to leave the jury out because it seems like all of this is coming on us pretty rapidly. And if we decide we know, that's when we're going to be wrong. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a good policy to just recognize that um, this is the way that I remember having learned something. And then you might even check and find out, wow, it's not that way anymore. <laughs> well, then why did I learn it that way? And uh, that's the kind of thing that is happening to a lot of people. And uh, those of us who are on that front line working with clients and talking with people, we certainly see a lot of it. Um, I think in the general populace, it's now becoming more common as well. So um, would you mind describing what exactly is a quantum jump? We're talking about them here. What are they exactly? Okay. Uh, this is where we take that phenomenon of reality shifts and Mandela effect and um, you might call it timeline selection or timeline jumping or quantum jumping. These are sort of synonymous. <laughs> Basically, it's working with these possible realities and noticing that when you have enough energy and maybe you get a diagnosis from a doctor that is not one that sits well with you and you'd like to heal or recover faster than supposedly is possible, then you can just bring energy from meditation, qigong practice, that kind of that kind of inner energy, with a clear focus and the genuine need to have that experience. Hopefully, to feel that adjacent reality, and and then you can make a jump. So it's a conscious reality shift, a conscious Mandela effect, and it can involve lots of people as well. So basically, I'm going to try to put this into a nutshell. We have these parallel paths. Uh, that end up in different realities or different outcomes, and we can choose to jump from one to the other? Is that what you're saying? Essentially, yes, that there, uh, that there is this probability range of all, all possible realities are kind of out there, and we don't usually experience all of them. Uh, we are, uh, it looks like we're experiencing an ever-changing branching tree of all the decision tree points where we make a choice, where we feel a need for something. And then that tends to arrive at that point and we can do this collectively. Uh, so it's an ever, what I'm suggesting is that quantum jumping is a natural phenomenon that we're all doing it all the time without necessarily noticing it, just like breathing. And just like we have the Wim Hof breathing method and other methods for breathing, quantum jumping is a way to work with a natural process that already exists and um, benefit from it, ideally. 
so we've been kind of in the victim stance of life is something that just happens to us and we're doomed to our fate. This is a whole different way of looking at it, isn't it? Yes, this, uh, my, my take on it is a spiritual take. So even for atheists, it's fine to just, if you're an atheist, imagine zero entropy, imagine something that is just unchanging. Ideally, that's love and that that would be perhaps the all-encompassing viewpoint, uh, what some physicists call the census taker. And then if you are spiritual, you can call it creator, source, God, any of those ideas. To me, this is all synonymous. They all come together at a pinnacle point, just like the perennial philosophy would suggest that as we get closer to that zero entropy point of no change, it becomes very difficult to talk about these things. It's um, almost impossible, but we can experience miracles. A lot of people do experience miracles, or they, if they're an atheist, they might not call it that, just a complete um, inexplicable change, <laughs> hopefully for the better. If we're able to choose, and we're about out of time in this segment, but if we're able to choose what our uh, viewpoint will be and what timeline we're on, how many of us have to agree on that for it to be the case? Uh, just one. You can experience a personal reality. So it's, that can be frustrating because then you'll see something amazing and don't share it with anyone. We are social creatures. So we typically tend to have at least one or two or several other experience experiencers with us. And so that's typically more common. Well, it's that magic moment. Time for us to take another short pause. Cynthia and I will be back to continue this amazing discussion. So don't go away. This is Mission Evolution, www.missionevolution.org. And you are watching the Exxon TV, TV channel, www.exxontvchannel.com. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. And speaking of gifted people of service to the world, this hour we're sharing thoughts with Cynthia Sue Larson. Her website, www.realityshifters.com. So Cynthia, I'm, I'd like to bring this to the, the pavement, okay? So basically, how do we make this work for us? This quantum jumping and reality shifting, from what we've been discussing, there are parallel timelines available at all times and we can change our outcome and change what we experience by jumping choosing to jump those timelines my first question about that is are these all predestined timelines or are we creating them well that's <clears throat> that's a tricky question it's because <laughs> predestined tends to imply levels of consciousness and i think that's a good way to look at the whole thing that there are levels of consciousness that seem above our own that seem to be um, fate or destiny, that kind of thing. But it's really levels of ourselves. And so there's, there's that going on. And then there's the levels of ourselves that we are aware of. And I, I use the plural because we know that there's your head consciousness, your heart, your gut feelings. And so there are many levels of, of each of us. And that's the key to a quality quantum jump is to 
become neutral and, and in a state of balance internally with oneself, hopefully accepting oneself. Uh, so this is where, for me, it's quite a spiritual practice to recognize that things are okay just the way they are. And just like if you're making a jump physically and you're jumping boulder to boulder, you want to be on balance. And similarly with quantum jumping for the best jumps, you want to make sure you're spiritually on balance and in that I like state that. of neutrality. I like that on balance and state of neutrality and the analogy of the boulders, because having done rock climbing and jumped from boulder to boulder, the one thing I learned early on is you focus on the next boulder, not the space in between. <laughs> so how much does right. our focus on our intent have to do with um, um, successful um, quantum jumping? Well, it's very similar to your rock climbing and jumping experience. You definitely do want to be focusing your attention um, on where you're going, not uh, looking down or uh, getting distracted because it seems like where our eyes go, that's where we tend to end up. And maybe that's what you've experienced. And that's what they tell people learning to ride motorcycles. There's a tendency when people learn to ride a motorcycle to look at the pothole. And if you look at that pothole, you'll pretty much hit it every time. So you need to keep your gaze up and straight forward where you're going. And coming from that position of balance is very important too, isn't it? Very important. Yeah. Now, um, this is all new to most of us. Um, the, even the concept that we have a choice as to which reality we participate in. Um, and one thing that I've had reports from, from my people is this feeling of bleed through more commonly now. It's like two things are happening at once. Um, and this can be very disorienting. Are you familiar with this at all? Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> very, 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 very familiar with it. Yes. So I've sometimes if I'm if a parcel is being delivered to my house, for example, I've sometimes gotten four um, status reports for one package. And uh, three of the four say it's been delivered and I go out and check the porch and it's not there. The, the one of the four says not delivered. And I decide I'm choosing that one because I don't have it yet. So I, I know I shouldn't be getting four status reports, but it's me. And sometimes I get multiples of things and they, they do come into my reality that way. So I this recommend skill choose the one that, that resonates for you. Stay calm. Stay calm, stay calm. So our realities are shifting, right? Yes. <laughs> so um, if we're going to use this um, effectively, don't we have to have some way of seeing what's on different tracks before we choose one? And if so, what are those ways? Well, some people are capable of seeing and visualizing and some people just aren't. So each one of us has unique set of um, capabilities and tendencies and qualities and characteristics and can be trained in different ways. So it's very similar to when I take martial arts, some people can visualize what it's like to put their, their hand or foot through a board. And some people, they can't picture that. They, they, they don't think that way. So it's a good thing to learn yourself and work with where you are. So some, well, we talk about visualizing, but maybe it's more of a feeling sense or a knowing sense. It may be more um, of just telling yourself, stay calm, and this is what's happening. And just maybe for some people, it's affirmations that work best. So it, it's kind of a tricky business to give a set. It's not like a recipe where everybody can get the same results in the kitchen, um, making the same cake. Um, and even recipes are different at different altitudes. So things can change a lot. And quantum jumping is very much an individual process. 
Is there any technique that can be learned that, that can help us with our accuracy? Um, and I, it's not something you want to get wrong, I wouldn't think. Well, we're doing it all the time anyway. So it's something that's so natural. It's just like breathing. So you could say we don't want to breathe wrong, but some of us are because we're not breathing to our lower abdomen. Um, so you can start with breathing, start breathing correctly to your lower abdomen uh, because it does work with Qigong, which is um, energy movement. To move energy, you work with your breath, with your imagination and with movement. And this is natural part of any of the Qigong or Tai Chi or martial arts or yoga practices. All of them utilize that. And quantum jumping utilizes it too. So it's a good place to start. And then if you look at the fact that the way we ask questions and we think we're just thinking to ourselves, like what next, what next, uh, change the way that you're asking those internal questions and just change it from, gosh, that was something terrible. Now what? They, they always come in three. Instead of doing that, ask how good can it get? Even if it sounds sarcastic, even if you think, well, this has got to be a joke. <laughs> how could this thing be good? Ask it anyway, and just see what happens, because that is what you're doing is steering through um, questions, and it's changing the what you're open to receiving. So it's instantly going to bring better results. So it's a matter of what we're open to. So in other words, the soup, quantum soup, if you will, is out there at all times. What we yes. experience is dependent upon what we are open to. It's in large part, yes. Um, it's, it's partly what we need, so we get what we need. It's partly lined up with what we believe, so we get that. And then what we're connected to with our collective consciousness, what other people believe, there's all of that going on. And, and then um, we are many levels of self. So it's partly what you're visualizing and expecting, what you love and what you need. It's all working together. And to the degree that you can line yourself up uh, and then what you can get to easily to the point well, simply to the point where anything you think it is, but that's a level of mastery to line up all those levels within yourself so that you're not pulling in different directions, like a team of horses going seven different ways. You want to pull together. Well, unbelievably, we're almost out of time. Before we close, I do need you to tell us, Cynthia, what is your mission? Oh, it's just to help enlighten the world to what we already have inside and to assist each and every one of us to understand that there's always hope, there's always love, there's always courage, and that we can do this together. What a, what a beautiful thing to bring to the world. And Cynthia, you're a beautiful person for doing so. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Unfortunately, we are out of time. But Cynthia, thank you for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much, Wilda. Our guest this hour has been Cynthia Sue Larson, best-selling author of Quantum Jumps, Reality Shifts, and High Energy Money. Her website, www.realityshifters.com. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka. For more information or to enjoy past archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. You are watching the Exxon TV channel www.exontvchannel.com. Please join us next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to our rapidly evolving world. Mm -hmm.